Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Good evening, everybody, and welcome uh, live to Golf Talk Live. Uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in tonight. Uh, we've got a great show for you. As uh, we get close to the end of June, it's hard to believe that we're almost uh, put the uh, the month of June behind us. And in fact, next Thursday uh, will be July 1st. So we're coming up to a new month here uh, before too long. But thank you, everybody, for joining me. We're going to introduce the uh, uh, Coach's Corner panel here in just a second. Uh, and then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined uh, from the UK by my very special guest, John Taylor. Uh, he's a performance psychology expert and Zen Golf associate. And uh, he's been on the show before. He was on last year. And he's got some new things he wants to talk about. So he's coming back on. He's calling uh, from the wee hours of the morning, if you will, uh, from the UK. So he's uh, he's staying up extra late for, for just you guys. So I hope you'll uh, you'll stay up with him. Um, but uh, let me introduce the uh, the panel, and we'll get uh, going on tonight's uh, discussion here in Coach's Corner. All right, first up is a uh, good friend, Tim Kramer. He is a visionary peak performance mind coach and president and founder of Peak Performance Mind Coaching, a program utilizing innovative and pioneering mind coaching techniques. Uh, he's also a contributing editor with Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, also on the panel tonight is another good friend, Clint Wright, a 30-year member of the PGA and one of the partners at TGM Golf, who are a big proponent of the R3 approach. Uh, he's considered to be among the best, covering the short game today, and also a favorite panelist here on Coach's Corner. So, guys, welcome to Coach's Corner here on Golf Talk Live. Glad to be here, Ted. Good evening. All right. Well, I, I appreciate it, guys, and as always, thank you for giving of your time. So we're going to talk about um, this past Tuesday, Cindy and I talked a little bit about uh, the conversation that we're going to have tonight. We're going to get into it a little bit more in depth, of course, because we have more time to uh, carry the conversation, if you will. We're going to talk about building confidence. This is an area that we see uh, a lot of amateurs struggle with, uh, gaining that confidence out there and and not really knowing what to do. And, and um, you know, I, I want to just go back to something that uh, her and I talked about real briefly, and that was the U.S. Open that just happened. Um, you know, John Rahm, of course, uh, ended up being the the ultimate winner of the event. And I want to get your, your thoughts on this because, and, and I'm going to sort of lay this out, and then I want to get each of you to, uh, to sort of respond or comment um, what you think of, of what I'm about to say, and then we'll get into the general conversation. You know, it was interesting because the week before at the memorial, of course, as we all know, um, he was uh, removed uh, from the tournament uh, 
as a result of testing positive for COVID, um, which of course under the PGA rules currently, uh, it's an automatic DQ. And uh, so he was quite unhappy, obviously, with the event as we all witnessed. But what's interesting about it is from week to week, he didn't lose his confidence. And I say that because even though he was leading the tournament at the Memorial by, I believe, six shots at the time, um, that would certainly knock the wind out of anybody's sails, uh, I think. And for him to come into the U.S. Open and play as well as he did, particularly on Sunday, I think says a lot to the level of confidence that he has in his game and being able to bring it forward and ultimately winning uh, a major event. Tim, I'm going to start with you and get your thoughts on that, and then Clint as you as well. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think it's a, a great testament to what he did, um, and certainly in a, coming back and everything like that. Um, the only thing that I'm going to throw out though is that one of the one of the huge principles that we we talk about and teach through peak performance mind coaching is we want we want players to be confident in in spite of results not because of them so they're bringing a strong mm-hmm. empowered confident them to the game rather than waiting for performance to to dictate their level of confidence um, it, it really isn't kind of like the chicken and, and the egg which came first confidence or, or results um, it's my firm contention that that we have to bring again a very strong us to the game and when we do that um, that's when it really shines. So I got to say that, yeah, I think that I think that he's obviously playing well. Um, he maybe had a chip on his shoulder. I, I, it doesn't really matter. Uh, he came out. He did what he needed to do, and he appeared to be very confident. But the other thing that I would say in, in watching some of the open, I didn't get to see it all, but he seemed to have very good control of his emotions this time, the entire tournament. Mm-hmm. And he has a tendency, as we've seen, to implode or explode quite frequently and, and uh, uh, for whatever reason. So I'm going to uh, suggest maybe that, you know, his mind state was – he was in a great state of mind, in my opinion, that led him to perform the way he did. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, obviously these guys are playing, Clint, at the highest level uh, mm-hmm. of the game. And, you know, as, as Tim said, you know, you, you, you have to sort of come with that confidence. And obviously throughout their earlier parts of their careers, you know, they're developing that confidence through their play and, and so forth. So I agree with what he said. But I want to get your thoughts. What do you think about that? Because, that, you know, that had to be a big blow. I mean, here you are leading a tournament by quite a margin. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, the guy wheels up in the cart and says, come on, you've got to come with us. You, you know, you've tested positive, And unfortunately, you're, you're out of the tournament. Um, right. That's got to set a little bit of a negative tone in anybody, even even the the most confident. What are your thoughts uh, with what transpired I, I from th- I don't Memorial think it, to? I don't think it does. <clears throat> you know, I really don't. I think if you look at it, he come out. I almost want to say that that what happened at the Memorial set the table for him to win the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. Because what happened there is he came off of a dominating three days of golf. He had a six-shot lead against arguably one of the toughest fields in, in on tour, a six-shot lead. And what happened, he had absolutely no control over. Cut and dried. You tested positive. Here's the rules. You know, this is what's got to happen. Okay. 
they basically don't disqualify them. He was it's a withdrawal. Okay, uh, right. so works the same way. <clears throat> but I think that he could have well come out the next day and had a terrible round of golf and lost the golf tournament. But he didn't. He didn't have an opportunity to either win it or lose it. I think what you saw there is he came off of three days of dominating the same players he played against at Torrey Pines. He knew he he could beat them, okay? and he mm-hmm. went out and, and improved that. So I'm not so sure it was a negative blow to his confidence. I think it was a negative blow to his checkbook, but there's no question that he <laughs> left there, you know, that – you know, he left there on a on a three day roll, and we all know these guys get on a roll and get it going. They can go low days and days and days in a row. Okay, mm-hmm. so I think he, I think Tim may be right. I think he showed that there was a slight bit of chip on his shoulder, but the U.S. Open fits his demeanor. I think you see in the past when he gets a little upset or loses his temper, it's in a tournament where he knows he's got to shoot. 10 to 20 below, you know, under to, to win the golf tournament. U.S. Open, we all know, you shoot five or six under, you're in the hunt. So a bogey here and a bogey there really is not quite as dramatic as it might be in, a, in just a regular tour event. Uh, I think at the end of the day there, you saw a guy that says, I'm good enough to give myself a chance to win, and two times in a row on 17, 18, his chance went in. You know, and and so I, you know, I was really excited for him. I think he's, you know, if you listen to the interview after the tournament, this this guy's got his head on straight right now. I mean, right. I think he, uh, I think he really does. And and if he has matured to the level that we saw there, he's going to be hard to handle for a lot of years. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just don't think that the thing of Memorial really put him in a negative tone. I think it put him into a, a positive tone to move into the U.S. Open, and, and it turned out for him. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting, um, you know, some of the comments that you, you both made. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Seve Ballesteros uh, was a little bit like that. You know, he had um, – and I don't – I won't say so much a chip, but he, he had a certain tone – at times about him as well and you know obviously everything doesn't always go their way and and I think you know I would say a lot of passion uh, in both uh, demeanors and I think that propels them um, you know even you know I can remember over the years as an example at Ryder Cups and that if the Europeans weren't doing well especially when Seve was was well entrenched and that seemed to fire him up even more and, you know, if, if somebody wasn't doing well or somebody was, and I don't mean because of their own fault, but just things weren't going their way, um, you know, Seve would be right there and he would be, you know, he would just be grinding and grinding even that much more. And there was a lot of passion to come out. And I think John Rahm is going to be very much a lot like that. Certainly not exactly the same, but I think it's just something, maybe it's cultural for, for them, um, you know, to have a lot of passion because Seve certainly did. And we saw that over the years. And um, it'll be interesting to see if, if John does the same thing. All right, so we're going to get into our general uh, discussion here. And, and, you know, first off, I think we, we need to um, – Tim, and I'm going to let you answer uh, this one here initially. Um, what happens when a golfer does lose their confidence? 
What uh, what sort of have yeah. what's happening? Do you think inside that caused them to lose the confidence? Yeah, bottom line, they're paying too much attention to results, and and their their focus on the results results in in a chipping away at their confidence rather than um, trusting in their abilities and believing that they're going to come back. So that's kind of why I maintain that uh, some of the best players I've seen uh, and coached, uh, that it's almost like their confidence on a deeper level is, is temporarily maybe rocked a little bit, but basically unshakable. And they come, they do bounce back quickly. And, and I, I loved what Clint had to say about, you know, about the memorial and, and, and mm-hmm. about, you know, John Rahm. I, I, too, I'm not sure how much of a chip he had on his shoulder as much as just kind of like, uh, no, uh, I'm going to move forward here from this. He, he learned his lesson. It was obviously a very, very costly lesson in a lot of ways. But mm-hmm. the good ones always seem to learn their lessons and, and come back with a higher level of uh, confidence and performance. Yeah, um, interesting that you both uh, uh, saw that as well. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting. We'll, we'll see how things go forward. But I think you're right. I think that, you know, to some now, now we know as as amateur golfers, uh, that would be, you know, I mean, we see them having a meltdown over a bad hole or even a bad shot. So something like that, I think, would be. But, again, it's a testament to the level of play. You know, we, we, we tend to focus, I think, a lot on the player's actual physical abilities of, of ball striking and 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 that sort of thing but really it's it's what's going on upstairs that really i think sets the difference because i've seen a lot of great players over the years clint who were phenomenal ball strikers um could hit the ball you know six ways from sunday but when they'd get out there and, and have to perform out in the golf course you know suddenly things uh you know just didn't seem to uh, to gel very nicely together. Right. So mm-hmm. what we want to be able to do is we want to be able to help build a golfer's confidence. So I've got some things here that we're going to talk about, and I think one, and, I, and I'm going to throw this to you, Clint, is preparation. You know, build it mm-hmm. and it will come, as they say. Talk about preparation. <clears throat> you know, it's a secure feeling, obviously, on the first tee. You, you know you're going to put – you know, you put the work and effort into each part of your game to deal with the shots that you're going to need. Um, but what do we need as far as preparation? How can our preparation and what are some of the things that we can do that is going to help foster some of that, that confidence? Yeah, well, there, that's a complicated question, obviously. But, you know, you, you made a point. I take this a little deeper. You you know you know me, all right. I take the, the deal with confidence a little deeper. Than that, I, I believe there's two steps beyond that, and Tim mentioned it. Is it to me confidence then builds trust that builds faith? You know, and what I mean by that, and I think this is part of the preparation. You have to have definition. You have to understand what you're trying to accomplish. See, to me, confidence is that I've decided the best club to hit. I've got the right shot. I can do this. I've done it enough times. I know that I'm, I'm confident this club is going to be good. Then I've got to trust that. But then the most important thing is I have to believe I can do it right now. Mm-hmm. Not yesterday, not two days from now, but right now. So that, that to me, it builds onto that. And you made a great point. When I was coaching collegiately, I'd have parents come in, what do you think about my kid? As Well, he's a great hitter, but I'm not sure how good a player he is. There's mm-hmm. a vast difference between being a good hitter and a good player. 
and because we've all seen good players that may not hit it that great, but they knew how to play. So when I start getting ready or taking a student, says, okay, how are we going to play? That's part of that preparation. Not how I'm going to hit it today, but how am I going to attack this course? How am I going to play? What clubs am I going to use? And then stick with a semi-plan of how I intend to play golf today. You know, I'm not hitting the ball really good today. Maybe I'm a little bit off on my ball striking. So then maybe I'm going to take an extra club and, and choke down on it all day today. How am I going to play? How am I going to get as much out of what I'm doing today as I can? And we talk with people a lot about the third shot. How am I going to get mm-hmm. to that third shot today? Preparing myself and be realistic. I think that's the, the key to, to taking it to the course today is that be realistic about where you're at at this particular moment and your ball striking and your ability to, to move the ball forward. If you're struggling a little bit, the way you're going to play may be a little different than if you really feel, you know, feel good about how you're striking the ball. But it, it really comes down to what, what I do personally is that I know I can make a good golf swing. It's available to me, you know, no matter when and where, but my best swing's available. So what I try to do, and I think it's kind of a catchy thing now that people are talking about, is that I just try to take the tension out of my body and make a move. Here's how I'm going to play today. I can't force it down the fairway. I have to hit it down the fairway. So how am I going to, at this moment, be able to get myself, my body prepared to make the best swing I can right now? And that takes a little bit of training beforehand. And I like him. It's not about results. It's about can mm-hmm. I achieve my intention? Okay. What is my intention today? Mm-hmm. And what am I intention to do on this swing? You know, I intend to aim properly. I intend to relax and take the tension out and make my swing. That's the only intention I can have. I can't intend to hit it on the green. I can't control that but I can control what I intend to do with my body and, and the feel that I'm going to have. So in preparing to get that to the course, I have to work on that on the practice tee. I have to practice that as mm-hmm. much as I practice how to hit an eight iron because that's all part right. of it when I'm playing. So preparing is practicing those things on the range just like you'd practice, you know, staying down on the ball or watching your rhythm or whatever. So you just can't automatically go up to the first tee box and turn the switch. You have right, to prepare right, exactly. well in well in advance of, of being able to do that. Some great points okay. there as well. And Tim, I I think you also you, you have to be proactive as opposed to reactive, and allowing uh, you know a lot of these great experiences that you've had in the game to be. Uh, part of the foundation of your confidence and deciding, you know, that temporary low points in your game will pass quickly and not dwell on those um, and that they will not have an impact on that foundation. So as Clint says, you know, you're going out there and you're practicing uh, not just specific areas of your game, but different uh, feelings and so forth. Um, But you've got to be proactive as opposed to reactive as well. I think that you've got to do that. So maybe you can touch on that a little bit. Yeah, we, we know the way the mind works is that in every moment you're either focused on wanted or unwanted. And it's been my experience that that most players focus on the unwanted and the bad things that could happen or the bad things that did happen, Mm -hmm. 
and they project us right into the future, and they're already toast. I mean, there's just there's not a lot of good energy coming out of that. So, so I couldn't agree more that you know that that again that we really have to use the mind in our favor, and I think that's a missing art. We've 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 gotten so uh, fixated on focusing on what is that we that which I call I jokingly call what is itis that that we we can't use the mind to imagine and create and uh, i think again guys that this this really drives home the point that i don't think enough players amateurs and, and arguably professionals really work on um the mind game as they're practicing so that they're hitting shots with a high level of belief. I think we go through the motions physically of what we're working on mechanically, but rarely do I see somebody who's also incorporating mind game skills into their practice. Then what tends to happen is that we get out on the course not having practiced the mind game, and now all of a sudden we're asking for something or, or, or maybe even more pronounced into a tournament never having really practiced mind game skills and then we're just fighting uh, with ourselves to try and access those states of confidence or or calmness or whatever we may we may want them to be um, I, i'm a huge proponent of having uh, you know almost like you know in our in our mind game you know we've got we've got 14 clubs that we play with physically but we better have a bunch of different emotions that we can play with out there you know sometimes it's going to have to be calmness Sometimes it's going to have to be confidence. Uh, uh, again, love what Clint said. I think it always comes back to belief in that, and that really what I see in the best players that I coach is that is that I would dare say every shot that they hit is a reflection of their level of belief in the pre-shot routine, uh, which I believe needs to be incorporated in the routine that something good is about to happen. But, but yeah, I, I, I think that it's something that we don't do a, um, a good enough job of yet in terms of really helping our students to practice the mind game. It's a skill that needs to be developed. It's not something that most players just... Yeah, uh, equally, uh, again, a great point. Um, and, Clint, I think really, you know, to, to really help build that confidence, I think players need to understand what their strengths are, their limitations and triggers. Uh, they need to understand those very well. Uh, it's certainly easier to win believing in something you understand versus something you don't. Um, maybe you can expand a little bit more on that. Well, <clears throat> you know, it, it comes down to, like I said a minute ago, you have to be realistic uh, about just how you can play. I mean, you know, I play – uh, with guys that that are you know in our new new terms is they're bombers you know they hit it down there and you know they're hitting wedges and all the par fours and I'm back there just kind of uh, poking it around <laughs> hitting eight irons you know but you know a lot of times I beat them because I'm not trying to overplay what I can do you know right. I okay I think that that I can hit an eight iron 155 yards every now and then. But I, but I'm realistic enough to know that that's not what's going to happen the majority of the time. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if I got to carry it over water at 150 yards, I'm not hitting an eight iron just because every now and then I could hit it that far, because I don't need a right. badge of honor. You know, I need to be able to get it over the water. 
So mm-hmm. I'm going to take my seven iron and hit it because I know that that my mistake is not going to be short. It's going to be long, if anything. So you have to look at the, the individual time and frame that you're playing in, but you also have to recognize what you have in your arsenal to play inside that time frame. You know, you, you, you have to understand that the wind's in your face and you're this far away. Have confidence and trust that you can hit the shots you've chosen. But, but you, have to, you have to be realistic about what you're capable of doing the majority of the time. You know, you hear it on television a lot when these players are having to lay up, where they're laying up to their good number. So mm-hmm. they're playing, so I need to get in at 95 yards. That's my best wedge shot. So that's where I want to play to. I get such a, a, a chuckle out of these guys I play with that they just want to get it as close to the green as they can. I'm going, well, not necessarily do I want to get it as close to the green as I can every time. I mean, right. you're, pl- you're playing out of your strength. Play to your strength. You know, if you hit good 100-yard shots, if you got to hit a three iron to get it to 100 yards, get it to 100 yards. Yep. And I very rarely see that happening, particularly with amateur players, where they just want it, you know, the, the idea is to get it as close to the green as you can. And we all know that the best players from play from the green back, not from the tee to the green. Okay, they play in you reverse. Know what's inter- yeah, what's interesting that you mentioned that, and not to pick on anybody, but you know, I, I think back a little earlier time with the player, of course, we all know Bubba Watson, uh, yeah. you know, one of the big bombers on tour. And very early on in his career, it was, you know, very much a John Daly-esque type approach, you know, grip it and rip it, and he'd be the big mm-hmm. bomber, and he'd be, you know, right out in front of, of you know, virtually every green on a par four. Um, but there came a point in time, and it certainly served him well in certain situations, but in other situations, it, it was actually to his own detriment. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, certainly you want to be a long player. It certainly gives you advantages, but sometimes too long is not good. And ultimately, that's why I believe he went on to win the Masters. I think he recognized that, you know what, yeah, I can hit a long way, but, you know, here at Augusta National, uh, you know, trying to reach every green, uh, you know, on par four yeah. is not going to serve me well here. So, you know, I think he, he I hate to say smartened sure. up, but I think he recognized that, you know, sometimes you got to put that club in the bag and play the smart yeah. play. And so I, he, he understood the limitations right. and, and what his, his strengths are. And yeah, you I, understand. I think this yeah, is where, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is what a lot of amateurs struggle with is they, you know, as you said, they, they get out there and they say, well, you know, this is only a 384 uh, mm-hmm. yard par four. It's a short one. So I'm going to pull out the old driver and just lay up short of the green, but they're not factoring in the fact that all the way down the right hand side is water and there's uh, some bunkers out there that are, are pretty tough to, to contend with around the green. So if they get in that, they put themselves in, in further trouble. So, again, yeah. it goes back to, you know, as we talk about is, is the mental side of the game or the mind game, um, what's the smart play mm-hmm. here? And yeah. let's play to our 100%. strengths and our limitations. Right. And, you know, not to, not to pick on one of our newest guys is, <laughs> you know, I believe that DeChambeau, has one of yeah. the best short games on tour. And yep. he takes that away from himself so many times, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because he won the U.S. Open. He could hit a long way, but he won that Open with his pitching wedge and a power. 
Yep, exactly. You know, well, so, and he, he yeah, hit, it's hard. To, he hit some missteps this past weekend. He hit some missteps oh, this absolutely. past weekend at the U.S. Open for that very reason. Uh, again, yeah. you know, he hit some shots that just were not, uh, you know, smart on his play. Um, and, you know, uh, whether it cost him the tournament or not, you know, who's Who to knows? say. But it certainly yeah. it didn't serve him well, in other words. No, that's correct. Uh, cool. Clint, I want to come to you, and here's here's another area that okay. uh, I want to because we've got to move on here. Um, sure, no and, and that is, uh, or sorry, not Clint, uh, Tim. I'm sorry, Tim. Uh, is great, great coaching. Um, you know, we need to, uh, you know, players need to be matched up with a good coach that is not only going to teach them certain areas of the physical game, but also is going to be there uh, and help them bolster their confidence by believing in them, just something as simple as believing in them and nurturing that relationship so that you've got to get matched with, with a great coach, I think, um, you know, in order to be able to accomplish these things because that ultimately as well is going to help towards building your confidence. And I know you know all about coaching, so uh, your thoughts here. Yeah, well, well, and, and I, I totally agree with that because – and it's a very broad statement, and, and obviously we, we certify mind coaches through our program, but the one thing that very, uh, it's very important to me is that we learn a student's style. Um, what I have seen over the years uh, that I disagree with uh, is when I see a coach um, who tries to coach the mind game without a lot of the tools in the mind game. And basically what it comes back to in many cases to me is, is the implication, this is what worked for me and this is what I think will work for you too. Um, I think we need to have a bunch of tools as coaches uh, in our bags for, for what we do with different kinds of players. We're going to have the swashbuckler types. We're going to have the ones who are, who are calmer. And those really require very different sets of skills so that we're not trying to pigeonhole these players into um, what, what um, we necessarily believe they should do, but that we take enough time with a player, really get to know them, and know how we can make that, that player shine. Um, in terms of the, the world of energy that I coach in, it's basically a matter of either, either bumping it up or, or bringing it down so that I'll have a player that is very volatile. And I don't mind that as long as it's channeled emotion, but that's a player that I'm really going to want to try and get into a calmer space more often, whereas, whereas I've also got uh, actually one of my guys on tour and it's it's in many cases like you know we got to kind of got to put a fire right light a firecracker under him to get him going. So it's a very different energy. But having the skills to really coach both types of players, I believe, is is really the art to effective coach effectively coaching the mind game. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and can and, just and to sort of follow up art, with that. It is an art. Oh, I agree, no doubt. And and again, there's a lot of Great coaches out there, um, but may not the, the mind game may not be their strength, and I think a lot of times they do that part of the game uh, an injustice by trying to sort of you know walk through the motions of it. And I think this is where you know uh, some coaches that 
are a little bit more pro- prolific in, in the mind game can sort of partner up with, with somebody that's maybe strong in the physical game, and together they can work together with a player oh, absolutely. Uh, in, in you know, something like that. Clint, I want to follow up. <clears throat> sort of, it, it works sort of hand-in-hand hand with coaching, and that is really helping a player create a clear and defined goal plan. Uh, so, in other words, if you know where you're going and have the step in place to get there, uh, it gives you, again, a sense of security that you're on the right track and ultimately uh, your confidence. And, and this is something, too, maybe you can touch a little bit on that, is, is you know, what kind of a plan should we be considering as a player? And how can our coach help us with that? That was for you. Oh, it looks like Clint, Clint got dro- dropped off, so I'll uh, get hold on that. Maybe yeah, he got he up, maybe he got upset and hung up. Right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. He, <laughs> do you want me to take? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go maybe, ahead and you yeah. follow up on that, and I'll get Clint on the next one. I'll get Clint on the next one. Go ahead. That sounds, yeah, that 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 sounds fine. Um, Ted, Ted, oh, there's he's back. Yeah, drop yep. me some summary. I don't know what the deal was. Um, your question no. about goals. Yeah, did you want me to repeat it or did you hear everything? No, no, I heard I heard that. Just as I was going to start answering it, it dropped on me. No, I think it it, it very much like uh, Tim was talking about is it's an individual person. And if I'm the, the instructor there, I need to have a little understanding of where the player thinks they want to go mm-hmm. and then try to help them manage the realistic side of goals. You know, I want to be a tour player. I'm 64 years old. That's probably not a realistic goal. But to be able to play my best golf, then I might be able to get to that. Okay, But I need to find the instructor and the guy professional that's willing to help me establish that at the particular time frame I'm at now. And, you know, if you're a beginner, you know, your beginning goals may be just to get the ball on the green in, in five shots or whatever. And then as I progress, I change my goals. I'm not a real big believer in setting a deadline goal. You know, I think you have to do it in phases and stages because I want to be able to accomplish it as I go. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm more of a believer in setting the goal, you know, the, the bar a little bit low and then particularly in keep rising it up as we go. And I think that the stats will, will dictate that path for a player. If my goal mm-hmm. is to maybe shoot 90, then I have to try to figure out how I'm going to shoot 90. You know, get the ball on the every green in three shots and two putt, I shoot 90. So how do I do that? What part of my game do I need to improve? And once I reach that point, the stats will prove out, well, for me to go from 90 to 80, then what part of my game based on the stats do I need to improve on to do that? And so – I'm, I'm really kind of an open-ended, open-mind idea about, about setting goals uh, because, you know, if you only got a day to play and you want to shoot 90, um, you know, that's going to be pretty tough. It's going to take mm-hmm. a little bit more time and effort to do that. So, you know, I almost get to a point that says, okay, let's start out with a real low goal of getting it on, you know, getting the ball in the air, let's get it on the green, and let's see where the path leads us and set our goals based on achievement, not necessarily mm-hmm. this way out in the future goal I want to have, is that let, let's work on what we're doing now. Let's reset the goal to the next level. What are we doing now? Let's reset the goal to the next level. And, and it's a process. It's not just a one-time decision that I'm going to make. Is that 
I think that's the best way to keep that, a player interested. Yeah, and and, and, and may yeah, I, I may I add go ahead. This. Yeah, Tim. Yeah, oh, sure. yeah, go yeah, ahead, yeah. Because I love I love I love what he is saying right now. We we have what we do when we establish goals is we say the goal has to be believable and achievable. So you have to believe that the goal is achievable. Otherwise, you will right. sabotage it every time. And and even in terms of, of confidence, you know, as, as, you know, so many times, and I think we've touched upon this, but, but you know, they do bomb it down by the green and just because it seems good at the time, and then they get down there and you say, well, were you really confident you could hit the shot? And of course, what are they going to say? <laughs> oh yeah, of course. I, I, I sure. knew I could. I knew I could hit this. <laughs> and and if you really have them wired, you know, I, I don't know, to a lie detector or whatever. But if we had their brain wired, I can tell you there's more stress coursing through their bodies than than they probably are aware of. So so the ability to make good decisions based upon good goals that we actually believe in that are achievable to me is 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 the key. And this is where I'm a firm advocate of baby step goals that really feel good. It's almost like it's almost like when you're going to clean your house or whatever, and you you got a checklist, and you find that it really feels good to just check little baby things off the list because it feels like a sense of accomplishment rather than these huge goals that we set for ourselves. That first of all, we never even believed to begin with, and then we get disappointed and frustrated because we're not seeing the evidence and the proof. So I think it's, it's, it's far better to set goals that we, we love and we tap into and we feel passionate about and, and to see those come to life rather than these things that you know, never stood a chance and we weren't really confident about to begin with. Right. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it also goes back to what we just talked about a few moments ago, and that is our strengths and, and obviously abilities and so forth. As those change and as those improve and develop, Absolutely. You know, then your goals are going to change. You know, if you're coming out and you're a novice beginning golfer, I mean, obviously your goals can't be very lofty. Um, it's nice to say, yeah, you know, especially if you're a youngster and say, I, I want to play on the, the PGA or the LPGA Tour one day. You know, that's certainly a, a vision down the road that potentially may or may not happen. But you have to take a look and assess where you are right now. What's your strengths, if any? Um, if you're somebody that's just learning to play the game, well, obviously you don't have a lot of, necessarily a lot of strengths. You could be very athletic and you might have some ability, um, but you're not really very developed in the game. So as those strengths and those abilities become more evident, uh, as we move along, then your goals can change. So I agree with both of you on that. I think to set definitive goals right from the get-go, certainly some small goals that are attainable, um, because that, again, you know, it, it's a reward system. So if you're seeing results uh, you know, as you're developing uh, various skills and abilities along the way, then those goals, as they start to uh, change, can be a little bit more uh, challenging and what have you. But to just, as you pointed out, Clint, to just sort of set out goals and, and you know, they're carved in, in granite, um, that's just not a smart play. And you're really setting yourself in a lot of cases up for failure because you, when they're not achievable uh, or they're very, very difficult to achieve, then that's going to chisel away, obviously, at your confidence as well. Tim, I want to come back to you, even though I know you, you uh, chimed in on the last one. This was one I wanted to sure. uh, give to you, and I know you've talked about this before, uh, Tim. Uh, and that is uh, when we talk about the internal dialogue or internal voice, if you will, um, your own voice should be the most supportive and creative 
positive <laughs> internal environment. It better and be, this yeah, is why, exactly. right? It should be, and, and it isn't always there. Uh, no, maybe you can not, but it, yeah. put a few few uh, exclamation points along the way, if you will, and talk about that the importance of internal dialogue. Yeah, the internal dialogue is everything. And again, in every moment, we're telling ourselves a story that either is a can-do story or I'm probably not going to accomplish it story. I mean, if you really want to boil it down to, and of course, there's, there's gray areas in between and there's different levels of belief and different levels of confidence, whatever. But, but the dialogue has to be, um, uh, we really have to gain, I believe, a very strong uh, sense of awareness of what our dialogue is at in as many moments as we can when we're playing golf and then arguably throughout our entire day so that we, to, to me, we have to have the ability to know when we're kind of when we're going down the rabbit hole quickly to keep ourselves from going there. And, and the, the thing that I always like to coach is that I, I always ask my students, you know, so, so how are you out there? What do you, how do you deal with frustration? And they'll go, well, you know, I, I breathe or I, I do this or I do that. And, and, you know, good answers. But but really, from an energy perspective, the best way to deal with frustration is long before you ever get frustrated. Because once the momentum, uh, emotion and energy and, and the mind game, it's a lot like gravity. And once it gets going, you're not going to slow it down anytime soon. So it really, we get back to what you mentioned before, Ted, which is a highly proactive approach. So when we look at the mind game, really have to do it proactively rather than reactively, even from an energy standpoint. Again, um, <laughs> once the energy gets going in a not-so-good direction, we're not going to turn that around anytime quickly. In fact, think about it, but we call, we call it shooting ourselves in the foot, right? Think of how many times mm-hmm. even as players, it's like we're not playing well. And finally, we just kind of, it's just like <laughs> we know we shot ourselves in the foot. It's not going anywhere, and then suddenly we relax into it, and we let go, and the tension goes away. And as Clint said, we start swinging very smoothly again, some nice soft rhythm and tempo, and all of a sudden we're just right back in the game. So, so, but the the key to that again is, you know, we just can't go to these places, hoping to um, be able to. Uh, um, most mind game coaching, in my opinion, still surrounds what do I do when I'm really mad, as opposed to how do I keep from getting really upset, and that's where the mind game kicks in. Yep. Um, some great, great points there. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, you know, Clint, Ben Hogan uh, famously said um, years ago that, and he was arguably one of the, uh, many considered him to be the greatest ball striker of all time, uh, depending on who you talk to. But, you know, he uh-huh. felt himself as, as a, a, you know, level of player, that he was uh, at, at the, the height of his career, that he maybe hit five or six shots in a round that were great. Um, certainly had a lot more right. misses uh, along the way. Okay. And so the problem that I see with a lot of amateurs, and I always equate this to, uh, you know, at an airport, you know, we see everybody lugging their baggage with them to get to the to get to the terminal. Uh, obviously, in a flight, you have to do that. Um, but at some point, you have to check that baggage. And a lot of 
right. bad players or less players don't check that baggage and they're dragging. So in other words, they're not focusing on the good shots. They're focusing on the bad shots. Right. How do we, how do we get them in a better frame of a mindset, if you will, um, okay. so that they're not so doing that? that. Yeah, the question falls in a little bit about what, what you'd asked him and what he was saying is that, see, I have a conversation on the golf course and I try to get some of my players to think the same way, is that my question is, is what would my caddy say right now? Mm-hmm. If I was paying a caddy like the tour players do, what, would, what am I paying them to do? Pay them to carry my bag, have all the stuff there, but what they're they're basically – in a place to try to help me get to that positive point before I make this golf swing. So what I always ask, you know, if I'm debating on what to do, I say, well, what would a caddy tell me to do here? You know, what would, what would they tell tell me to do? And you see it a lot more now because they're getting into the interaction with the player and the caddy on tour. You can hear them talking about, you know, mm-hmm. what would my caddy tell me? That's how I would try to encourage the amateur player to, to get away from the baggage is that my caddy's not going to let me dwell on that. I'm paying them good money for them to not let me go back to that shot three holes ago. Mm-hmm. And so what would my caddy tell me to do? You know, well, this is, this is this shot right here. You know, golf is a unique sport. We, we turn the past into the, we turn the future into the past every time we swing a golf club. Yeah. Nothing we can, you know, nothing we can do about either side of that swing. Can't do anything about the one that comes after. It can't do anything about the one we just hit. It's about the one I'm about to make, and that is a really hard conversation to have with yourself because, you know, we're, we we get out there and we don't want to make the same mistake again. But I mm-hmm. think if you start having an internal, you're talking about that internal conversation, is that don't have it with yourself. Have that conversation with your caddy. What would they tell you to do? Because they're basically sitting on the outside of this, this action. They're, they're, a, they're a spectator looking from the outside in. So they can, you know, you, that part of your, your mind or your thought process can kind of be like it's watching what you're doing and giving you advice based on what that sees versus what you're feeling. And if you can ever get to where you got that conversation going, you're going to play a lot of good golf. You're still mm-hmm. going to make some bad swings, but you're going to be playing well. I think Hogan was one of the – we want to talk about ball striking. Yes, he was one of the best. There, there's a lot of good ball strikers, but there's sure. very few good players. Very few good players. And you, you look at the daily the, – the weekly tournament on tour. They're all good ball strikers. Mm-hmm. I don't know one of them out there don't hit it good. But from week yep. to week, they play better. Maybe the course fits their game better. They have a better playing plan for this course versus the other one. So their ball striking doesn't change that much. It's how they're playing. And Hogan was one of the best players because he could take what he had that day and make it work. Mm-hmm. You know, And that's the definition of a good player. Right there. Take what you got and make it work. And you know, I always if go you back. have that conversation with yourself, be it the caddy versus the player, you can find your way to that. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And and I always go back to something to that you you always say, uh, Clint, and that is, you know, you can't change the past. The future hasn't happened yet. There's only now. And there's only now. That's uh, right. There, that's a lot of the problem I think that many amateurs have, and and even occasionally some pros fall into this trap as well. Especially if they've had a string of bad holes, sometimes it can carry into their into their psyche and that. But I think today's right. players have learned to. Uh, to overcome that in, in most cases, but you're exactly right. You know, you can't change. Uh, you know, even the last shot. The last shot has happened. Maybe you've been put in a bad position. So now you have to focus on. Okay, what do I need to do with this shot? How do I, you know if you're, you know, not in a good spot and you want need to get it back in play? It may not be going for the green. It may be laying up to that that you know good yardage that you have, maybe at 100 yards or whatever it is. And that might be That's the right. smart play. So you have to focus on that. It doesn't matter that you hit a bad shot off the tee. It's irrelevant. It's already happened. It's gone. You can't change that. And we don't know what's going to happen yet. And as you said, the future shot then becomes the past. So, again, That's right. when, you, when you look at things from a different – I think a lot of it boils down to confidence really boils down to – and, Tim, certainly uh, feel free to, to chime in. I think it's attitude. I think the attitude that you bring <laughs> to the golf course helps you understand – and put yourself in a position. If you're coming with a, an attitude, it's just not going to happen. I mean, I played this course, you know, a week ago, and and you know, this happened and that happened. And as I said, you're you've got three bags of luggage that you're bringing to the first tee. You're not going to play very well. You've already set yourself up for failure. So attitude is a lot to it. And and if you go, I mean, think of all the tournaments. Again, if we if we look at any player on on the PGA Tour, even Tiger. With as many events that he's won, uh, there's many more that he lost. If he went to every new tournament and said, well, you know what, I won 12 events uh, this year, but I lost 30, so I haven't got a hope in heck of doing anything at this event because my percentages or my odds are I'm going to lose, he would have never won a tournament. Right. So attitude, I think, is, is everything, helps define that. Uh, Tim, what do you think? And then, Clint, you're welcome to... To add to it as well yeah there is there's no doubt to me that attitude sets the tone for what we're about to accomplish and 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 um, you know we can we can talk as much about confidence as we want we can talk about as much about belief as we want and and, and to me again belief is arguably the the single most important quality for success but but without a good attitude it's it's almost like you know I I we have several tools that we we teach as part of, uh, of of our program, and one of them, of course, is the breath. The other is using the eyes very properly. Posture is important. A little smile helps, and all those are physiological things that we can do. But I, I'm here to tell you, you know, it's my firm belief that with a bad attitude, those are just like band aids that are never really going to work. And, and the breath is a very powerful tool, but with a bad attitude, it's just not mm-hmm. going to, it's not going to help you much at all. And so, yeah, a- attitude to me is is flat out absolutely everything, and really sets the tone for uh, qualities such as belief and confidence and, and the things that we want to be able to tap into. You know, and Clint, just to, to back up a little bit further, uh, great point, Tim. Thank you. Um, you know, to what you said earlier about John Rahm, really mm-hmm. this sort of fits the bill right here is attitude because, again, as I pointed out in the beginning, it was just really to set the framework, but, you know, he could have very easily 
developed a bad attitude because of what happened to him at the memorial, but instead he didn't allow that, that message, that negativity, if you will, to creep in and actually used it as a, as a uh, propulsion, if you will, coming into the U.S. Sure. Open. So, uh, yeah. again... Nothing he could do about it. Right. Because it, it, yeah, it, it it's over. That's right. Right? Any... any any uh, final yeah. thoughts on attitude that you want yeah, to add in there? I, I think, yeah, I think that the, the attitude is one thing, but the thing that, you know, I was always would go back to the early conversation about playing when we were younger against other people is that I was always taught you, you, you can fool other people, but you can never fool yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Like and it. Yeah. Right. It, it, you can you can fool other people, but if you don't believe it and honestly believe it, you might as well just fold it up and go home. Um, yeah. And and I think that's what if you want to use the John Rom example. Uh, he wasn't fooling anybody, and you know he he believed it. He it wasn't about fooling anybody. It was just absolute. I beat these guys this week. I had a bad thing happen. I just didn't get paid for it, but I'm going to beat them next week, and I know I can, and I'm not fooling myself. Mm-hmm. I believe it. It's 100%. Right. right. It's a, gen- it's a genuine level of belief. I, I yeah, agree. very good point, mm-hmm. Tim. That, 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 that's a great way of putting it. You're absolutely correct. It's an, it's an authentic yeah. level of belief, right. That's correct. I agree. I mean, you, like I said, you can fool other people, but you'll never fool yourself. You either believe it or you don't. Right, and you know, and that really set the tone for a lot of players. As, you know, Clint, as you pointed out earlier, um, you know, everybody's you know that makes it to this level, whether it's the PGA or the LPGA, are all good ball strikers. But there's really very few players. And you know, when you look at a Tiger, when you look at a Nicholas, and you look at some of the others that really um, had phenomenal careers. I mean, they've all have good careers. They all make money. They've got sponsors and that. But the ones that really won a lot of tournaments over their career and still are continuing to do so um, are the real players. They understand. And, and when you look at most of them, if you look at most of them, I mean, you know, Mickelson's hit some bad shots. Uh, you know, Jack's hit yeah. some bad shots. Tiger, we know, has hit some bad shots. They've all hit some really bad shots. Um, I've seen Tiger coming – you know, I used to laugh, and I've joked about this a few times on the show. I used to laugh when Tiger, uh, in, in some of his earlier uh, years, and, he, you know, the announcers would come up and say, well, you know, how do you feel, Tiger? And he said, well, you know – and he'd win the tournament, of course. And he said, well, I didn't really play my A game. Yeah. And, I, you know, everybody was scratching their head and said, what the heck are you talking about? What do you mean you didn't play? You just beat the field by eight strokes, um, you know, eight, yeah. nine, or whatever the case was. Uh, and that mm-hmm. wasn't your A game, and it's like, you know, and some people, I, I, I think, took it as an, an arrogant statement and saying, well, you know, I wasn't really playing that well, but I just beat the yeah. beat the pants off everybody out anyway. here. But what he was, yeah, beat him anyway. right? But what he was trying to say is, he knows he has the ability, just like you talked about with your eight iron. You know, you know, you can hit it 155 yards, but you're not going to hit it there every time. Uh, but that no. doesn't change your attitude. Uh, you're going to go out there and you're going to do the shot that you that, that you're going to have at that particular time. And it goes to really what a lot of these players, um, I think if they come in with a different attitude and, and not focus, I mean, I, I see so many guys over the years that tinker with their golf swing and they had a great swing to begin with. Now, Tiger did that That's too. Right. And, you know, it, it, it worked well, but there were a lot of it. Look at Nick Faldo. I mean, he was obsessed with his golf swing for a number of years, mm-hmm. um, you know, even after he worked with Ledbetter and had a, a great golf swing and won, uh, you know, six majors plus. 
Right. So, you know, it, it had nothing to do with ball striking, but somewhere along the line, Ian Baker Finch was another great player, you know, played extremely well, and then all of a sudden, it wasn't his ball striking right. suddenly stopped or no. his putting suddenly stopped. It was what was going on inside. Well, you know, the, the thing of it is, you, yeah, you, you get to a point to where you're hitting it as good as you can, so there's a decision you have to make. Am I going to stay focused on what I've been working on, or am I going to change and learn how to use what I have? And we all work with people that need to do both. Some people need to make their swings a little better physically, but a lot of the folks we work with really need to shift gears, move away from that, and get into learning how to use, learning how to play. And you talked earlier about preparation for the day. That's preparation for the future. I can't hit it any better. So then how am I going to shoot a lower score? It's not going to be by hitting it better or putting better. It's going to be learning how to use what I have better. That's the preparation to get from the practice tee to the first tee. Everything to deal with how am I going to use what I have today is going to give me the lower score. And that's what a lot of amateur players they never bridge that, make that step across the bridge from physical to the more of the mind game. They never make it because they never get satisfied with how they think they're hitting it when they're hitting it just fine. They just don't know how to use it. Yeah, and, and just one final that. point. <laughs> right. And, and just to add one final point, what we often see with a lot of amateur players is when they're not hitting it as well as they'd like to hit it, then they try to buy the game. They're out there, then they're changing their equipment up. And, you know, a lot of times it's, it's not that, or they're trying to find, you know, extra yards somewhere else. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of times end up going in a direction that's really, again, not serving them well. And again, you've got to work, you know, as we age, obviously our distance is not going to be there. And yeah, you can make some minor tweaks and some equipment, you know, maybe a different shaft flex can, can maybe help. But again, you're, you're not going to get 30 or 40 extra yards when you're no. 65 years old compared to when you were 25 <laughs> years old. It's just not going to yeah. happen. I wish. Tell me about you it. You know, yeah. I wish there was. A, but, <laughs> but you know what? So you, you have to, you know, you have to be smart about it. And uh, it, it's just interesting when we look at that. Well, great discussion, guys. I really uh, I think we got into some some of the meat, if you will, of confidence. And we, you know, obviously drifted into some other areas as well. And uh, sure. I, I really enjoyed tonight's uh, Coach's Corner. So, as always, uh, take a moment and just let the folks know if they want to reach out uh, and maybe have some questions or, or follow-ups with you guys, or maybe they just want to get together and, and uh, see if you can help them with their game. So, uh, Tim, I'll let you go first, and then Clint. Yeah, uh, easiest to reach me through the website at uh, peakperformancemindcoaching.com, and uh, um, we do certify instructors if that's something that uh, you know coaches are interested in and in the concepts that we share and and uh, um, great, great show tonight, guys. I really appreciate it. Very insightful, and, and uh, I think we were pretty much on the same page. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. Clint? Yeah, great. Uh, Tim and, and Ted, both, it's always a pleasure, and, it, and it's been a, an interesting conversation for sure. Uh, you can contact with me on uh, Facebook on TGM Golf Academy on Facebook or The Third Shot on Facebook or uh, clintgoff001 at yahoo.com. Love to hear from you. And this has been one of the more interesting shows we've done over the years, Ted. This was, that was a, a great conversation. And, Tim, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too. Thanks, guys. Well, I appreciate it, and I try to get better with age. Uh, my game may not be as good as it once was, but hopefully, uh, hopefully my chops are. Guys, as always, thank you very much. I appreciate it. 
uh, have a great uh, a great weekend, and uh, and uh, we will see you the next time here on Coach's Corner Panel. Thanks, guys, for always bringing your best. All right. Sounds great. You're welcome. Thanks, Thanks buddy. See ya. All right, that was Tim Kramer and Clint Wright. Uh, join me here this evening on the Coach's Corner panel. And uh, before I bring on my uh, very special guest this evening, here's a quick message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, and just uh, a quick side note, if you uh, want to save a little bit off a print subscription, uh, there's a special right now until the end of June. Uh, if you enter promo code GOLFTIPS21 at checkout, uh, you will save over 30% off the subscription price, uh, which is normally $14.97 for an annual subscription. Uh, currently, uh, if you enter that promo code, you'll get it for $9.99, and you'll get all of the uh, six issues uh, throughout the season. Uh, just visit the website, golftipsmag.com, uh, click on subscribe under the print uh, side and enter promo code GOLFTIPS21 and save over 30% off. And that goes till the end of June. So you've got a few more days left. Uh, and if you've already got a subscription, maybe you know somebody that would like a subscription, you can do that as a gift as well and save a little extra money and gift it to somebody. All right. Uh, my very special guest uh, is here and ready to go, and I know he's uh, calling in uh, in the wee hours, if you will, over in the UK, so I'm going to make it quick with the introduction here and get him on so we can uh, get into tonight's discussion. Of course, I'm talking about my very special guest, John Taylor. He's a performance uh, psychology expert and Zen golf associate, and with a combination of a lifelong passion for golf and therapeutic practice, John launched What's in the Bag. Uh, What's in the Bag provides an innovative approach to performance coaching centered on self-awareness and holistic philosophies. Uh, John works with professional sportsmen and women, focusing on mental toughness. Over the past year, since John was on the show, he has qualified as an I3 personality profiling consultant, defining natural strengths and areas of awareness to increase performance. Uh, John finished des uh, designing and writing the Living in Abundance program uh, through his What's in the Bag. Uh, this has gone on to be a proven program that golfers are now benefiting from around the globe. So without further ado, let me welcome my very special guest uh, from the UK, John Taylor. Good evening, John. How are you doing? Hi, Ted. Good to hear from you again, and um, a pleasure to be back on the show. Well, Have I appreciate it, and yeah, I've got you. I can hear you quite well. Hopefully, you can hear me uh, as well. So... It's been an interesting uh, year, to say the least. Um, there's been a lot, uh, obviously, has gone on globally with the pandemic, and it's been uh, pretty difficult for a lot of folks for a long time, and obviously uh, some have gone through some very, very difficult times. And, um, you know, this is really, we've been very fortunate in the golf industry, uh, despite some of the challenges uh, over this last year, 
uh, golf has actually seen quite an uptick in people not only playing, but coming to the game just by virtue of, of limitations and things like that. So, you know, what we've all tried to do in the industry is to keep ourselves busy, not just teaching and coaching and things like that, but updating our skills and doing different things, uh, which we'll talk about what some of the things that you've done here in just a moment. Um, but first thing I want to talk about, uh, uh, one of the interesting points that, that you put together uh, and something that you worked on with uh, Dr. Joe Parent, who was, of course, part of the Zen Golf uh, platform as well, and that is the, uh, you call it the TrackMan for the Mind. Talk about a little bit about that, something you've just recently worked with through him. Uh, talk a little bit about what you mean by the TrackMan for the Mind. Um, yeah, before I get started, I'd just love to um, pay a compliment to Clint and Tim and their comments on really exactly what I do for a profession. And um, Dr. Mm-hmm. Joe sends his best as well, and I know that you've had him on the show. And yeah, I, as you know, I reached out to Dr. Joe a couple of years ago, and we started to work together, and he's now mentoring me through my work and expressing sort of our desires and goals and aspirations to the world. Um, and I spoke to him last week and I was like, I'm going back on Ted's show. Um, what do you think we could talk about? And he came up with this idea of track man of the mind. And I was like, okay, that, that's quite mm-hmm. interesting. So I started to do a little research on the back of that and realized that the track man that everybody knows in golf, it's just mm-hmm. sitting there as a monitor measuring people's performance from a, from a right. practical point of view. Now, if you can translate some of the language that a track man gives you, it's looking at like launch angles, you know, the attack, the spin. Now, golfers launch themselves into the situation unprepared in, in many occasions. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned about preparation before. They haven't done their practice. They haven't worked on the mental side of the game away from golf so they can bring all of the things that they've learned onto the game. And when you look at the spin ratio, think about your head starts to spin. So I was like, we're on mm-hmm. something here. And it was just the conversation that we had. <laughs> um, and I think that it's just the work that we're doing is really, it's like track map for the mind. It's helping people reduce that spin a little bit rather than and, and increase it for whatever it needs to be. Um, and looking at how people measure their situation from a, a physiological point of view and a mental perspective. And the way that you can do that really is just to buy understanding firstly the awareness of where you're at you know the positioning and i think one of the guys mentioned it before like the power of now now mm-hmm. the monitor is just now it's just observing it's not really doing much it's just looking out and then feeding back information and you can do this with your thought process you can look at how you respond to situations rather than how you react and john Rahm responded amazingly didn't he? <laughs> he absolutely yep. Yep. you know you can't, you can't get a better response than from what he'd done um, and he wasn't so he was hurt you could see he emotionally it, it hit him um, but he went mm-hmm. away and probably just he, he didn't dwell on that information he just sat and probably reflected on how he could just take that time and then moments to come back a stronger person and show that resilience and grow and do what you've done the week later or a couple of weeks later. Um, so, yeah, looking at just really speaking the language of the golfer, of understanding this is what we do as, as mental coaches around the world, is that we are offering something that measures how you respond and how you 
adapt yourself in, in situations. So yeah, that was just, that's how it unfolded, really. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's why I used him as an example. That's why I wanted to bring him out in the open like that because, uh, again, you know, so many people um, that don't have, you know, his understanding of his own self and his own game um, under similar circumstances. I mean, that was certainly uh, again, it was beyond his control. I mean, it's not like he went out there and his play was was not good that day. I mean, he was leading the tournament by uh, I believe six strokes at the time. So he was well in a position to win that tournament. Um, so it wasn't his physical game that was letting him down. It wasn't even really his, his mind game or, or emotional game that was letting him down. There were circumstances that were really beyond his control. So there was really no reason for him to be upset or angry. Certainly disappointed. Uh, anybody would be disappointed. And you know, people say, well, it was a lot of money to lose. Well, listen, these guys are dealing in some big numbers that you and I probably don't uh, have the pleasure of dealing in. So I mean, yeah, it was it was a lot of money, but he's won before and he's he's earned a lot of money before. So uh, yeah, it was it was a little dent in his in his pocketbook, but that's not really uh, you know something to to you know be upset about uh, beyond what what needed to be uh, because again, it was not through his own problems that caused this. It was just an unfortunate thing. He happened to test positive. And he had to abide by the rules, and it is what it is. And like you said, he moved on and ultimately uh, won this uh, last weekend's U.S. Open. Um, you know, it's interesting when we look at uh, John, when we look at the amateur player compared to the professional. Uh, and as you were pointing out, and, and Clint pointed out, you know, you can't change what's happened. You know, in the past, we can't, we don't get a do-over. In other words, the closest thing that we have in golf to a do-over is a mulligan. Um, and you know, beyond that, we just have to accept, okay, that was a bad shot or that was a bad round. I can only focus on now because the future hasn't happened yet. And a lot of people struggle with that. As I used the analogy earlier, and I want to get your thoughts on this real quick, and then we'll move on. Is you know, I equate it to, as I've said in the last segment, is to being at an airport with people dragging their baggage along. You know, that's the appropriate area to bring baggage because you're going on a trip. But on the golf course, you don't want to be bringing your emotional baggage uh, out in the golf course because that's going to affect you. How do we work with players to get them to separate that and put that in the compartment where it needs to be and be able to focus on what they should be focusing on? What are some things that you do? It's a great question, Ted. Um, so some of the things that I work with with, with golfers of different abilities, I've worked with guys of plus five, scratch, you know, 28 handicappers, and they all they all come with something. And um, you mentioned a lot of things around goal setting before. Now, mm-hmm. I met a guy about six months ago on a Zoom call on a networking event. He's from Canada. Uh, Keith Engelhart, he's called, and he says, John, yep. the thing is about goals is that they're probably somebody else's. They lead to disappointment. You set expectations too high, and then you get lost in translation. But if you set intentions and align them with your core values, you've got more chance of succeeding or being successful in the thing that you desire. Now, it's up to you what you put in your suitcase, how heavy you want to make that. You've got choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and however you want to drag that suitcase through the 
the airport or how much equipment you want in your bag or how much you want to bring on the golf course with you fundamentally goes with the kind of information that you're taking on and, and disjointing or uh, discarding with yourself. Now, um, being being completely aware of, you, you want to be taking the right equipment, you want to be taking clean, looking fresh, you know, and and flushing out all of the, the noise and the distractions of things like comparing yourselves with a professional golfer when you're an amateur, like thinking that you should be hitting greens in regulation and two. Now, you've got shots. Mm-hmm. Well, why do you need to be trying to bomb it? And you're going to be wasting all of your energy in that round looking for golf balls. I played golf with a guy right. a couple of weeks ago. He was, he used, every time I played golf with him, he hits his driver and he's never on the fairway. And the course that we play is reasonably small. And the last round we had, we started using the firewood off the tee. But he was bombing it down the middle and he was actually hitting greens in regulation. And you could actually see the energy released from him because he felt better. Because he was in play, yep. he was more relaxed, and he got to then go through his round of golf rather than burning all of that unwanted baggage or energy of constantly being in the trees or in the rough or out of bounds or wherever he may be. And I said to him, stick to that then, and then you'll see your scores start to reduce because you don't want to be spending too much time away from the centre of the target. You want to be with the people that you're playing with, you want to be in the game, you want to be submerged as much as possible. So it's understanding that, okay then, if I'm hitting my drive off left and right all the time, is that one thing that I could take out my bag for now so I could just start to feel better? And you know that's going to create the results. Um, so yeah, that's sort of like what we do. I just, I just work with people and understand what they're bringing to the table and what's useful and what's not. And um, and flushing out all of the old. You know it, what's interesting, John, is is so many, uh, particularly amateur golfers, and there's been a few pros over the years too that have, on some level, fallen into this trap. But they get cluttered; their minds get cluttered with so much information that they're just not able to focus on what they need to and decipher what they need to, and uh, you know they they end up, as I said, bringing all this baggage. And it's just interesting, you know, when we, uh, you know, as, as teach professionals, when we work with them and, you know, we're trying to get them to focus on one thing and they're talking about 20 other things that they want to do and that. And so I know you can tell by looking at that there's a glazed look over their face when they're trying to focus on what you want them to focus on, because I know in the back of their mind, they're thinking about these other 20 things, which they don't need to. And it's very challenging sometimes to get them to refocus that energy. Uh-huh. And, you know, you, you, yeah, you raised a great point in um, talking about uh, the gentleman that you were playing with uh, when he finally realized that, hey, I need to maybe hit a five wood instead of the driver. Uh, he noticed a, a, you know, a, a surge in his game. So let, I want to move on because I mentioned, uh, John, that um, you know, in, the, in the opening uh, comments that um, you recently uh, qualified as an I3 personality profiling consultant um, and are now able to help um, golfers become aware of their strengths and areas of awareness uh, and helping them transfer it out onto the to the golf course and there's seven indicators um, through this program maybe you can touch a little bit on each of those 
Yeah, um, the, the i3 profiling was designed by a couple in the mid-90s, actually in South Africa, and they had they worked in a church, and there was people coming to them with all of these problems, and they started to realise that they were portraying these indicators, that there were that, that certain traits of making them feel a certain way. Now, the guy who created the, the i3 profiling was actually a PGA swim coach in South Africa. Um, and his uh, son, Grant Henderson, now ex-professional rugby player, is now the, the ambassador and the director of the company. And I, I wasn't aware of this when I actually embarked on, on doing the training. Um, and some of the indicators that we're looking at are like perceiving, practical, inquiring, promoting, um, enterprising, organising and responding. Now, what happens is you do a, a, a psychometric test and then it spits out the results and gives you, at the top of your chart, where your optimum growth is. So the areas that you are more suited to um, take on any situation, regardless of what you're trying to accomplish. And if you're high in perceiving, you're looking through your eyes, and we use different body parts as well. So if you're practical, you're hands-on, inquiring, you're living the mind a lot. So an example of an inquiring golfer would be Bryson. So deep thinker. Right. Um, always want to make sure that things are bang on, but with each indicator, you get the positive and negatives that come in them as well. So if you're too high in an inquiring person, you might delay in creating an opportunity or results until you've got all the facts. So you, you could be withheld from that. People high in promoting, they like to use their voice a lot, and they're motivational speakers, and they're quite expressive with their words. Um, entrepreneurial type people is, is the enterprising. Organizing sort of speaks for itself for you. You've got it taken on information and then delegating that information outward. So a really good team manager would be well in organizing. Now, what I started to realize is when I was taking golfers through these different personality profiles is that we could adapt their natural strengths into their game and sort of look at the areas that they weren't so good at and you don't necessarily have to build on them. It just means that you just aren't good in that area. So it doesn't mean that you haven't got the strengths. It's just aware of if you spend too long at the bottom end of your chart, then you're not going to be able to fire on all cylinders and, and, and perform to your best. So it's, mm -hmm. it's really interesting, the dynamic of how you can, you can look at that. And I think the guys mentioned it before as well, is that when you've got one golfer who's the centre of attention, who you know, transitioning from amateur to elite status or wants to get onto the professional to whichever level, level the, mm -hmm. they all come their own set of filters, beliefs, values and emotions to do that. Now, if they understand what their indicators are, then you can really build on them and understand that if they're not so good in other areas, the people in the team can look after that area for them. So it's complementing the yin and the yang along the way. And having right. somebody who's skilled within the team in their specific or their, their, their area of expertise is only just going to complement that golfer. And that's what I say to people when I work with them. You spend eight hours on the putting green with your headphones in by yourself, isolated, doing all the hard work behind the scenes. I sit and spend eight to ten hours a day working on psychology. So I can help come and complement that area. You don't necessarily have to know everything about how the mind works. We just have to work with you so that you, we can draw out the natural ability within you so that you can go off and perform. And that's how the I3 works, and it's, and it's great fun. 
Um, I've actually profiled Dr. Joe and many other people around the world as well. And it's just a, it's a nice awareness tool to look at yourself and hold that, you know, that mirror up and say, okay, then what is really going on for me? So therefore, I can, I can, I can be my best. Um, so yeah, yep. that's sort of like the indicator in brief. Yeah, and 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 obviously, I know you could get into to more in depth, and and obviously, uh, you know, that's something that will will let the listeners uh, that want to reach out to you, they can, uh, you know get a better understanding of that through you personally. But um, that gives us kind of an overview, and I appreciate that. And, and you're exactly right. I think, you know, once we understand uh, certain things, certain triggers and certain things that happen, uh, you know, as Clint talked about as well, um, you know, having, uh, you know, developing goals uh, and, a, and a plan, if you will, a lot of times having a better understanding of yourself uh, right from the get-go helps you formulate those plans that are going to be more effective and more efficient. Uh, what happens with a lot of golfers is that they put very lofty goals or plans up there on the board, if you will, and they don't really have the ability to achieve them. So they're, as I mentioned, they're, they're sort of setting themselves up for failure uh, right from the get-go. So I think having uh, you know, something, what you're just suggesting here, indicators that you can use to sort of gauge where people are um, and, and the various different components uh, gives it a little bit of an easier time for people to understand where they're at, where they're going, and what they need to work on. Um, and I think this is what, where the, you know, the mind game, if you will, really needs to come into play. I want to move on to something I found really interesting in your notes that you sent to me, uh, and you wanted to talk about um, what you refer to as total embodied meditation and humanistic awareness of your space. I found it very interesting. And you gave an example. You said this is something that Phil has been, uh, and of course talking about Phil Mickelson, has been talking about over the past couple of months. And you're suggesting that you think that this is what's really helped him uh, with his game and ultimately went on to win the PGA Championship. First off, talk about what, what you're referring to. What does it mean by total embodied meditation and uh, awareness uh, of your space, if you will, what was what you know? What are you referring to? What was he talking about, and why do you think it helped him? Yeah, it's um, it's 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 a point that I wanted to raise because it's what Phil's done is a is a walking advert for the work that I'm I'm doing with people now. To become aware of your perceptual space means that you're not then distracted by what is without you so there's a, a, a an article that i wrote was to go within to win so it's everything that you do from within and how you vibrate outwards will create the you know the, the desires and the aspirations that you want to achieve i got into the tm stuff and um, the founder of that is a guy called richard height who's um, over in california on, on the west coast and i've i I was hooked by this program that I'd done for about six months and I used to go and do meditation with him every day. And he talks about the, your peripheral vision. So if you put your arms out it's, you know, at, um, behind you and then bring your fingers into a certain point, as soon as you see your fingers when your arms are stretched out is your peripheral vision and then the same above your head and in between your legs when you bring your arms down. And that is your space, that is your awareness. And when I watch golf, I don't watch where the ball's going. I don't, I don't necessarily look at the scores, but I watch the players. And 
and Phil was like iron. You know, he was absolutely solid over them putts when he won the PGA Championships. He was so mm-hmm. present and still and calm. And, you know, with, within that moment of just, just that his, his awareness of just where he was, not, not what was going on beforehand, not what was going on, what's, what's about to happen, just completely mm-hmm. that nowness. And that's what TEM is. It's, it's the total, you're embodied to that situation at that given moment throughout the whole round. And being relaxed and calm and composed, and that's the kind of thing that breeds confidence because you're not then being distracted by things that go wrong as well. So you, you are being able to reset yourself when things don't go to plan. Um, and how you respond, right. and, and that's what TEM brings, and, and it's a it's a discipline. It's something you have to practice away from the game, um, and you can do this by walking meditation. You can do it by sitting up, and there's different forms of meditation that you can do. But the the best thing is is how you then listen as well to what's being said without trying to come up with an answer and being too far ahead in your own mind. Um, and, and just learning just to relax and understand that you are there having fun in a tranquil environment. There's beautiful things to look at. You know, there's, um, there's, there's plenty to do on the golf course as well as just play the game because to actively stay focused for the four to five hours you're out there can, can burn a lot of energy and you can relax between in, in and out of pre-shot routines and once you've played your shot, there's no need to stay, you know, like, completely fixated and focused, you can just step in and out of this awareness of space and just know that you are present. And, and that's what TEM brings. Um, so once, once, once I get people loosened up a little bit and we've had a couple of sessions and I'll start to introduce it, you know, at, at the stage where I feel they're ready for it. And then they go off and mm-hmm. practice and then they come back and we reflect on, on how, it, how, it's, um, how it's been. I get them to do it when they're in the car or when they're at work or when they're talking to their family and they're just around friends. Just just practice being in awareness. So therefore that when you get on the golf course your mind is already trained to be receptible to, to that way of thinking. Rather than trying to do it on the golf course all of the time because when you're on there you don't want to be practicing too much. You just want to be out enjoying yourself and playing. Right, exactly. Um very interesting. I I uh, interesting perspective on and take on on Phil and and you actually went on to to talk about as you put it the old timers uh, are are certainly winning on tour um, and you also talk about how some of the younger players can learn from their methods and you're not just referring to Phil of course you mentioned Casey uh, Westwood and Sink as an example and that sort of has created a, a ripple effect if you will um, talk about really a, a little bit about uh, again, we're seeing a, a lot of some of the older players uh, coming back, like Phil, obviously, is an example, but others as well that are winning. Um, what is it that, that they're doing, and what is it that the younger players uh, can basically pick up from them? Yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting, isn't it, Ted, this year, that we've, we've been through that situation, and people have, um, you know, like, Lee Westwood, the advocate of a golf course close to me, close house, and um, followed him mm-hmm. for a very long time. Phil doing what Richard Bland, you know, 
478 mm. starts on the European tour and not one victory. They're all the first time winner on the tour. And then and then Phil complimenting him to do that. And then what that does, I think it just creates that um, inspiration to know that if you're looking up and to these guys like these guys did to the, the players before them like Jack and Arnold Palmer and everybody else around them and we all feed it down in a message like, you know, Phil with John Rahm and so it's been a good week for them two guys, hasn't it, over the last few few weeks, you know, working together on what they're doing. I think what that does is say when Richard Bannister broke the four minute mile or Roger Bannister broke the four minute mile, it sends it sends an energy frequency or wave across people's psyche to think that, okay then, if somebody else is capable of doing it, I'm going to find a way within me to then go off and do the same. And I think that that's mm-hmm. what this has done with these with these guys. They're like old wines, aren't they? They're just maturing with age. And it just proves that it doesn't matter about where you are in life. Um, well, I'm 43 now and I'm really just starting the psychology at a deeper level after, you know, 15, 20 years of training in this environment. So it's it's just becoming better at what you're doing and being inspired and understanding that you're completely different from everybody else. But it just, it just, I just love it. I just love to see it happening. I, I, <laughs> the younger guys should be looking up at them and saying, okay, what do I need to learn from this? You know, what, what is it that I, they're doing that I could bring to the modern game? And they're probably staying off as much as social media is good, but they're probably withdrawn themselves a little bit from that. And I think Phil mentioned the lead up to the US Open where he's going for some quiet time um, and not <coughs> not being bombarded. Like you said before, Ted, you know, with so much information coming in, it's like we're constantly trying to download all of this, how to hold the club, how to stand, how to be, you know, instead of just trying to do all the time, just just be. Just be who you are. That's why we're human beings, not human doings. <laughs> so I just think that what them what them guys are doing are really creating that I think next wave of of, of goodness with their mental attitudes. You know, it's, it's fab to to see. Well, and I think John also too what we're seeing um, as as you know as human beings as we evolve. Um, I think people are putting things in perspective. You know, when you look back to some of the older golfers, and I'm going back to, you know, uh, the Nicholas and Palmer era as an example, uh, you know, their way of thinking, for the most part, not every case, but for the most part was, you know, they spent hours on the range. They, you know, were spending every, you know, 24-7 was entrenched in golf. And, you know, Nicholas was interviewed recently, you know, uh, on Father's Day at the, at the U.S. Open, um, on a, uh, I believe, a, like a Skype call uh, with his, his son and grandson. And he talked about, for him, what was really important, um, and both of the, the young men, of course, concurred, was really family time. I mean, obviously, he loved playing the game, and you know he saw the results, but being a good dad and being a father was important. And I think what you're starting to see with some of the, you know, the, the older golfers is they're trying to they're they're starting to find balance in their life, um, and and not just I mean obviously they don't need the money I mean someone like Mickelson you know is is well off and many of the others that you mentioned as well, but I think it goes beyond that I think they're realizing that you know by finding balance by unplugging from some things and just relaxing is helping them to actually be more focused when they get back out on the golf course uh, you know they're taking more time on they're unplugging from 
you know, social media and they're not getting bombarded with as much information and they're able to focus on the things that are important to them, which again, translates to, um, you know, success out in the golf course. I mean, you know, here's somebody, Nicholas, uh, Mickelson, excuse me, is, is older than a lot of the guys out on tour and he comes out and, and puts together some great rounds to win the PGA championship. Um, you know, the oldest player to win a major, uh, you know, that, that's unheard of it. The last guy to do that was Nicholas. Um, and, you know, so it, you're seeing a trend now, I think. Would you agree, um, as, you, as you pointed out, with, with the uh, more mature golfers that they're starting to, to view things a little bit differently than maybe what golfers of an earlier generation might have? What do you think? Yeah, I, 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 I completely agree with you, Ted. It's... Um... I think they become less fixated on the results, and that was mentioned in right. the coach's corner with Clinton Tim. Mm-hmm. A lot of golfers see these numbers and they're just chasing and chasing and chasing. Now, we, when the word chasing means what you're trying to get gets further away, it says it in the words. Yep. I'm, I'm pushing for victory, so you're pushing away. And language is really mm-hmm. powerful, both internally and externally, and they find now that. They're in this rhythm of flow, this natural, they're blessed to be out there. They're, they're, they're relishing it. They're just taking it all in. They're soaking in every part of what they can just physically do in their moments. And they're not getting lost in translation anymore. And, and I think because of what is going on in the world, that's quite easy to do. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. um, I was talking to somebody about... about doing meditation, they were like, well, I do meditation at half seven every morning till eight o'clock. And I says, okay, then, so what happens when you finish meditation? He says, well, I pick up my phone and I go on social media or I'll look at my emails. <laughs> so they're breaking the state. It's not like... Right. It's like this kind of, this kind of stuff that we, that we practice in, in, from a mental perspective. It's entwining this whole balance into your life. It's about you can be awake and alive and in a meditative state without having to sit there on a, on a cushion with your back straight and your arms in front of you. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. You can, you can be relaxed and calm and composed in, in, in any given situation. I think that's what the older guys and, you know, some of the younger players as well are really starting to take heed of that and understanding that that's something that they can do as well. And some of these traditions that I'm talking about now are like 4,000 years old, so they're not new. They're not new to the world. It's just how you have you got the discipline to, you know, block out block out that noise and and spend a little bit of time away from too much. You know, if you do too much of the same thing, it's the definition of insanity, isn't it? So repeat the same pattern right. and expecting a different outcome. <laughs> the right. Spice of life. It's variety. You know, as much variety. Um, myself and my partner, we ran a resilience program with sixteen-year-olds college students who were going into employment and we ran this trial with them and we've done a a, a six-week program around emotional development and one of the things that we looked at was we put all these different types of emotions up on the screen and their feedback was that they realized that the more that they can manage their emotions and have more variety in their life the better they are at managing them so i was like mm-hmm. well that makes sense and this comes from 16 year old kids you know it's understanding that you want this. You, you want to be as open-minded as possible. 
um, and just allow things to just pass through you sometimes and don't hold on to things because they'll just it's it's like the unblocking method you know and um, one right. of the exercises that I do with students when I work with them is I look at all of the things that they don't like about themselves and then all of the things that they achieve and then we set intentions on the back of that because if you just go booling in with oh well just be positive and set these goals but they're like well deep down inside I'm not really positive and I haven't I haven't got this belief that I can do something, well, it's like, well, well, let's work on that first before we start adding stuff to the to the pot. Um, and I just believe that that's what they're doing. The older guys are just relishing in their moments. And congratulations to Katie as well. He's just been the Olympic team. Um, and Bubba Watson mm-hmm. just had a great run today as well, hasn't he? So it, it's yep. just proving um, that I think the more you can just, just distract yourself from the the, the chaos, as I call it, the situation, and just be okay with who you are from your, in your own skin. Um, it's gonna it's gonna give you another little tool in your box to help you push forward. Well, and that goes to what you know we talked about, uh, you know, in our earlier discussions on Coach's Corner about that, and and you mentioned as well in that internal voice, internal dialogue. Um, you know, too often. Um, you know, I remember hearing a story uh, a number of years ago, and actually somebody brought it to uh, the other show that I do, and uh, they talked about a, shared a story about Annika Sorenstam, and you know, before she won, uh, had won the U.S. Women's Open, and one of the things that she had was a, a lot of clutter in her mind, and she wasn't really able to relax. She was thinking about you know every shot on the golf course and constantly and not giving herself a break. And somebody suggested to her, uh, as an example, they said, well, Annika, you know, you've got this new home now and you're, uh, you've got this home and you want to, you know, renovate your kitchen. And, you know, they said, well, why don't you think about, you know, when you're in between shots, instead of thinking golf, 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 give yourself a little bit of a break and, you know, maybe think about something uh, that you want to do in the kitchen or a pattern or whatever the case is to just take your mind out of the moment and just, you know, walk, uh, you know, to the next shot and just enjoy it. And what was interesting is she followed and took that to heart and did just that and ultimately went on to win uh, the tournament. And, and it just goes to show that, you know, the internal dialogue, sometimes if you're constantly ingrained in negative thoughts and negative, uh, you know, again, not feeling confident or, or uh, you know, that you're going to be able to succeed at something, um, whenever you're faced with a task from that point on, it's very hard then to be expected to succeed at that task because you've already set yourself up for failure because you've been telling your, you've been playing that message in your mind. And that's what happens with a lot of golfers. That's why I used the, the reference you know, several times earlier about you know, the airport and bringing the baggage, the emotional baggage, is that's what many amateurs do is they're bringing not only past holes but past rounds into the current round. And so, you know, and, and you talk about here in some of your notes about really letting go of the results and becoming more grounded to the now uh, and, and that if you sort of and set your intentions in line with your core values, you stand a better chance of, of getting the results that you desire. And, you know, I think that's part of the problem that so many golfers have is they're focusing on too many different things and that negative internal dialogue just keeps playing. It's like a, a record that just keeps playing and playing and playing. And um, I think that, uh, yeah. you know, what you're doing, yeah, you know what you know what I mean, what you're doing here. 
Um, I also want to give you an opportunity, something very interesting as well that I noticed that uh, uh, that I know you wanted to talk about is uh, a gentleman by the name of Wayne Telford. Tell me who he is and, and how he's now uh, uh, connected with you. Yeah, certainly. But quickly, Ted, I just, you know, the baggage stuff, you know, when you look at an amateur golfer, they've got a range finder, they've got a watch on, they're, they're pulling out a phone, um, they yep. <laughs> get a face, Facebook notification or they answer the phone during the round and you're about to play your shot. And please, for anybody out there playing golf, put them in your bag. Just just put them away. You, you, you're out there for the four hours. For, for me, when I'm playing golf, and especially when I'm working with people, they get my 100% focus. They, they get they get all of me. And when I'm out playing golf, I get I give all of the game to myself. It's the opportunity. You know, we we've been starved of it. And um, we, we've got the summer here in the UK at the moment. And it's going to get you know we're past half the year. It's going to start getting darker again. We won't be able to play as much. It's like just take that opportunity to. There's nothing happening away from golf when you're playing your game. It's going to change in them four hours unless you wait for a baby to be born or an important phone call. I understand right. that, but my message is to golfers out there is if, if the technology is distracting and it's too much for you and you know, you're know you playing off whatever you are and you've got your range finder, you're trying to get it within two foot of the pin, it's like take the green, you've got, you know, just, just calm down a little bit and I think that kind of, that that's in the suitcase as well, isn't it? That people bring. <laughs> it's just like stop it, you know. It's just yeah. like, come on, guys and girls, you're out there. You, you, you took this game up. The, the industry's grown massively in the last couple of years, which is a, a massive bonus for everybody involved with it. Which is a mm. which is a, a relief because it was on a decline. Um, just that, just that etiquette of being out there and playing and and and, and being. You know, it's it, it, it's the love of the game, it's the sport, and that's you know when you're passionate about something and you're seeing people with these phones and devices and just trying, it, it's confusing, I think. But some people like it, some people don't. I'm not saying it's all bad, but just be mindful of what is distracting you from your baggage. Um, yeah, so I just had to quickly get that one in. <laughs> My message said, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, just, bag, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. 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 I agree. Just real quick to add on to that, John, is you're exactly right. You know, I see a lot of players, uh, a lot of amateur players out there that are not very good players, and they've got surrounded by all kinds of technology, and they wonder why they're not really out there. And I always equate it to this. You know, if I'm coming out there, and, and depending on where you're playing, you know, you could be spending anywhere from, you know, $30, $40, $50, or $100 around, depending on where you're playing. You know, if I'm spending money, and I'm going to be spending four hours, um, I don't need to be looking at my phone. I don't need to, you know, I, I, and again, I'm, I'm a supporter of technology. I, you know, if you want to have a range finder, if you feel you need it, that's fine. Uh, but again, be cognizant of, uh, you know, conscious of what's going on around you. Um, but, you know, I just want people to, to go out and have fun. And, you know, there has been since this pandemic, there's been a big influx of new people coming to the game that have never played before. The last thing I want to do is be bombarding them uh, you know, from within the golf industry and say, well, you got to have this, you got to have that, and you got to do this to the point where they say, you know what, this is just too complicated. It's, you know, golf's meant to be fun. It's challenging, no doubt about it. It's one of the most challenging games out there. But it can be a lot of fun, even for players that are not very good um, at the time, um, 
part of the challenge is to obviously improve yourself, and there's a lot of ways that you can do that. And we talked about them earlier in the, in the coach's corner um, in, in order to build confidence. But the main thing is we want you to go out there and have fun because if you're not having fun, you know, who the heck wants to play it? Why do you want to play something if you're not enjoying it, having fun? And if you're too wrapped up in everything else that's going on around you, and I think that's really the point that you were making earlier with a lot of these more seasoned players, is they're starting to recognize that. They're going out there having fun, and, and uh, yeah, they're, they're competitive still, and they can you know, bring the best there, but they're not really focusing on the same things that they maybe did 20 years ago. I guarantee that what, what Phil's focusing on now on the golf course is light years different than what he was when he first came out on tour. I guarantee it without even having to ask him. And that's the thing is it comes with maturity. It comes with um, experience and so forth. And I think the younger players are saying, hey, you know what? Hey, if a guy as old as Phil can come out here and, and, uh, and perform to the level that he did, there must be something to it. So we're going to see, I'm sure, more of that as time goes on. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but go ahead and, and talk to uh, talk to us yeah. a little bit about Wayne uh, and the relationship there. So myself and uh, well, Wayne reached out to me, and uh, we just I think it was at the start of the, the the I call it the situation. I don't give it the energy, but the the thing we've just been through. Uh, Wayne reached out right. to me. He's, he he played it. He plays at Royal Portrush. Um, he played on the Euro Pro. He's you know mid thirties now, and he and he just said, I love what you're doing." Um, you know, there's two courses at Portrush. He's got a course record on one and. McElroy's got it on the other, no Rory. So he, he had the same string coaches, Graham McDowell and things like that. No Shane Lowry's. But he just said, I wish I had somebody like you, John. You know, because I, I believe I just didn't have the temperament. And so Wayne's now really supporting and become a big advocate and an ambassador for me personally and what I'm doing and just sending that message out there. So I just want to really thank him for um, him coming forward and, and doing that. You know, and he's a he's a great guy. He's a He's a cracking player and he's wanting to get back out onto the Euro Pro as well and we're working together to get him, you know, winning again and um but yeah, he's just he he's he he'll be looking at Phil winning now and the Richard Blinds and stuff like that as well and no doubt in his mind that he can go out and compete again. Um so I just wanted to give him a bit of a shout out. I'm just grateful that he's um by my side in this as well. Oh, yeah. I I couldn't agree I couldn't agree more. So John, if 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 uh, the folks want to uh, you know learn more about what you're doing, I know you've got a website. Um, why don't you direct them to the website? And there's a lot of great information there. I'm actually looking at it right now. Um, go ahead and give them that information if they want to reach out, connect with you. The one great thing about uh, about being online and and different social connections is you can literally connect with anybody from all around the world, just like we're doing tonight. So. Um, what's the website? Where can they go to get more information? Um, yeah, thanks, Ted. The, the website is whatsinthebag.club, uh, and you can go on there and book a 15-minute a you know, consultation or a call with myself and have a look at the, the things that I've been doing and some of the blogs that I've been writing. And Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn as well, um, John Taylor, um, performance psychology expert. It will come straight up. Um, and that's, I think, we're, we're connected on there as well, Ted, aren't we? So... If anybody wants to yep. just have, have a have a conversation around, you know, how they can just be a better person and then go out and perform. And the word attitude got mentioned before, and I think that's fundamentally important. It's coming with that right behaviour, with the right attitude, and just like you said, letting go of 
all of the clutter and, and the frustrations and, 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 and that's where the confidence will build from there. Um, so that's, yeah, that's how you can find me. Well, perfect. Um, you know, John, it's just, uh, just to reiterate, you know, it's, it's so, you know, as, as we get older, I'm a little older than you, obviously, but, uh, you know, as we get older, we start to look at things, life in general, uh, a lot differently. And, you know, I even know with, with my, um, understanding of golf now, obviously is much different than what it was, you know, 20, 30 or, or more years ago. And, you know, when I go out and practice and, and play myself, um, you know, I, I look at things a lot differently and I approach it a lot differently and I don't focus so much on, you know, the technique because I've obviously developed my game to a point where I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm comfortable within my own skin, if you will. And, uh, you know, I'm going to hit some bad shots, of course, and, uh, but I'm going to hit some good shots. And I look at it this way, as I mentioned earlier in, in one of the comments uh, referring to Ben Hogan. You know, he was, uh, you know, considered to be one of the best uh, and greatest ball strikers that ever lived. And even he came out and said, you know, in, a, in, a, in any given round, I'm lucky if I hit five or six great shots. The rest I know there are going to be a lot of misses in there as well. So, you know, when when you're an amateur golfer out there and you're looking at these guys that are on tour and, you know, we're seeing the edited down version on TV. We're not seeing all the, you know, all the bats. Occasionally they'll throw one up there, but they're showing us a lot of the good shots. Um, these guys have bought bad shots too. So, you know, we, you have to put it in perspective. And I think that, you know, if you're expecting that you've got to have 70% of your shots are going to be great um, and the guys on tour aren't even doing that, and they're far better than you know you and I put together. That should tell you something right there that you're focusing on the wrong thing, and you're not having fun because you're obsessed with trying to you know be the perfect ball striker. And as we talked about earlier, um, you know there's a lot of guys out there that uh, and Clint put this point home. Uh, there's a lot of great ball strikers out on on all of the tours, uh, but there's not a lot of great players. And the great players are the ones like the Mickelsons and and, you know, past players and that as well, like Nicholas and so forth, that went out and really, you know, set the stage on tour. Um, none of them were fantastic ball strikers, certainly good ball strikers, but they weren't fantastic compared to maybe others. Uh, but they knew how to play. They knew how to put the game together. And uh, they had, uh, you know, a good understanding of uh, mentally and what they needed to do to, to navigate around the golf course. And that's really what we're talking about here uh, in the discussion. But but John, I want to thank you. Uh, it, uh, you know, it was uh, a pleasure to have you back on the show, and I'm going to have you back on uh, again on a future show, and maybe we'll get Dr. Joe to come on with you, and and uh, we'll have uh, a three-way conversation uh, next time, perhaps. But uh, I appreciate you coming on and and um, and sharing uh, what you're doing. And again, for those of you that uh, want to uh, check out what John's doing, uh, his website is whatsinthebag.club. That's whatsinthebag.club, and there's uh, information there. You can get in touch with him, and as you said, you can uh, book a free 15-minute consultation with uh, with uh, John Taylor, and uh, and go from there. And I know he can help you with uh, with your game. And uh, John, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for coming on, my friend. Thank you so much, Ted. I really um, relish this opportunity. I know it's getting what. 2, 2 a.m. in the morning. That's dedication. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I know. You, I, yeah, for I, me. I yeah, for me, it's just coming up to yeah. eight. It's just coming up to eight for me. So I, I know that. That's why I wanted to uh, cut you off a couple of minutes early, let you go and get some rest. But John, as always, anytime. I'm glad to have you on the show. 
And uh, we'll, we'll talk again real soon. I've got some other things I'd like to talk to you about, and I think that might be of interest for you. But, uh, but uh, cheers, mate. Thank you very much for coming on, and, and uh, God bless you, and keep doing all the great work that you're doing. I, you're doing a fantastic job, and as always, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much again, Ted, and um, hopefully we'll have a round at some point when all is chaos. That, that'll be a dream. Thank I, you. I think that would be fantastic. All right, go get some rest, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. All right, that was uh, John Taylor, uh, performance uh, psychology expert and Zen Golf associate. Uh, a lot of great information. Again, go to uh, his website, whatsinthebag.golf. All of his information there. Uh, you can check out some great blog posts as well, and obviously some of the different uh, programs that he has to offer. Uh, you can check them out on his website. Uh, again, a quick thank you to Tim Kramer and Clint Wright. Thanks, guys, for doing a fantastic job on Coach's Corner. And always look uh, forward to our discussions, and I'm glad that you guys enjoyed it tonight. And I think it worked well uh, with tonight's special guest. Uh, was able to just walk right in and continue the conversation. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, again, don't forget, for those of you that uh, want to add a Golf Tips subscription uh, to your repertoire, go to golftipsmag.com, uh, click on uh, subscribe and go to the print subscription, uh, and you can subscribe now uh, using promo code GOLFTIPSMAG, or sorry, GOLFTIPS21, excuse me, GOLFTIPS21, and save over 30% off the regular subscription price and get it for $9.99. That's good until the end of this month. Uh, so we've got a few more days, and if, as I said, if you're already a subscriber, uh, not to worry. Uh, you can also, if you have somebody in mind that you'd like to give them a subscription as a gift, maybe a fellow golfer that's uh, currently not a subscriber and you'd like to do that as a gift, uh, that promo code will work as well. So again, uh, just Golf Tips 21 do that uh, as you're checking out, and you'll save over 30% off the regular subscription price. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I will be back next week with another great round of Coach's Corner and, of course, another interesting guest that I'll interview uh, to follow. So God bless everybody. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you next time right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest, Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.